morning. There you go. You can see me. It's great to see all of you here this morning. If this is your first time, I also want to take a moment just to say we're so excited that you came. Make sure that you do fill that out. We love giving away that free stuff out back. It's so much fun. Uh, we are in a series called Ephesus where we're exploring ancient instruction for the modern church. Come on, all of God's answers to society start first where? In the church. In case you didn't know that, there you go. That's your first nugget for this morning. Uh, if we haven't met yet, my name is Keegan. I am the lead pastor at this location. And before I dive into chapter 5 in week 5 of this series, I do want to take a moment to thank all of you that came to be a part of our facility. Serve day yesterday, we had a brand new Connex uh, outside, and so we were able to get a lot of stuff that was in this building, taking up usable space and put it out in there. And so we had people here from, I guess, a little before 8 until 1, 2 o'clock yesterday. So I just want to thank you for coming and being a part of that. Uh, also, we saw uh, in the church news, a lot of exciting things coming up next week is our back to school Sunday so we're going to take a moment honor all of our educators teachers pray over our students pray over the semester who's excited about school okay three people my goodness how we have fallen no just kidding but we're going to pray. That's important. We believe that, that God is going to speak to our children and they're going to get educated. And, and we're just going to believe it's going to be their best years ever this year. And so we're going to take a moment to do that next week. Also, we're going to launch uh, or tell you about a partnership that we're launching with One Child. You saw the little teaser video about that. How many of you love being a part of things that go beyond the four walls of, of the church? Come on, this is going to be a great opportunity. You'll hear more about that next week. We'll have a representative with us. And so all great things. And fall is closer. I almost wore a flannel today, and then the 105 degrees I saw on the thing deterred me. So I am holding out. You're only going to see T-shirts for a couple more weeks, and then I'm going to be excited about flannel season. But uh, we are in a, an awesome series on Ephesus. I will tell you, if you missed the last four weeks, that's all right. You can go online. I would actually encourage you to download our app. And for those of you that prefer to take notes on the app, you can do that, whether you have an Android, iPhone. So download that. You can also go back and watch. Um, you, there's podcasts you can listen to if you want to hear uh, from, from here at Belton. Or uh, our YouTube channel actually has Pastor Stephen uh, and those over at Harker Heights. And so if you're more of a visual and you want to watch it and not just listen to it, you can do that. But go back and go through uh, each of those. There's some great stuff leading up to what we're talking about today, which is the testimony of the church. Come on, the church should be known for something, right? And God's people should be known for something. And so we're going to talk about what that looks like. And I'm going to get started by just reading uh, chapter 5. Somebody look at your neighbor and say, we're going to read a whole chapter in church. Oh, my goodness. Get ready. Don't fall asleep on me now. I'll have to wake you up. Come on. Ephesians 5 says this. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved children and walk in love. We could leave if we just got that and followed that right there. As Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a sacrificial and fragrant offering to God. But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you as is proper for saints. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For know and recognize this, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no one deceive you with empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore do not become their partners, for you were once darkness, but now you are the light of the world. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists of all goodness, righteousness, and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. 
Verse 11, don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to mention what is done by them in secret. Everything exposed by the light is made visible, for what makes everything visible is light. Therefore it is said, get up, sleeper, and rise up from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Pay careful attention then to how you walk, not as unwise people, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Verse 17, so don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is, and don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, but be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Submitting to one another in the fear of Christ, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, because the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of the body. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. He did this to present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything like that, but holy and blameless. In the same way, verse 28, husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. For no one ever hates his own flesh, but provides and cares for it, just as Christ does for the church. Since we are members of his body, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. To sum up, each one of you is to love his wife as himself, and the wife is to respect her husband. That's a lot. There's a whole lot in there. We're going to unpack it a little bit um, as we talk about this, starting in Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God. Come on, no matter what you say to your kids, if you're a parent, or if you're a school teacher, or you're in a, in a place of authority and you're leading people in any kind of a, of a situation or, or organization, what you say is one thing, but how many of you know your people are going to do what they see you do? So you can tell everybody all day, we're supposed to be kind and we're supposed to be compassionate, but if you're yelling and screaming at everybody every opportunity you get, what are people going to get from you? They're going to be like, listen, you don't even do what you're telling us we should do. Right? This is where Christians get caught up being called hypocrites. Because people are looking to us, the ones that profess to be followers of Christ, they're looking for us to, to exemplify that. What does it look like? What does it mean? And if we just look like everybody else in the world, then they won't know the difference. We're called to be imitators of Christ. It's not about how much you know about God. It's not about how much you know about the Bible, how much you can regurgitate if you're not living it and his word isn't living in you and transforming you so that you become more and more like Christ, it's really of, of no profit. And so we're to be imitators of Christ. And I'll tell you this, there's a difference between uh, being an image bearer and being a child of God. The world, you'll, you'll hear this all the time. Everyone on planet Earth is God's children. We're all God's children. That's not true. It's just not true. The truth is everyone was created by God. But we don't become sons and daughters until we accept what Jesus has done for us on the cross, taking our place for our sin by his blood being shed, his body being broken, and us then being given the right to become, like the Bible says, adopted as sons and daughters. If people reject Christ, guess what? They'll never be a part of God's family. 
He is the way, the truth, and the life. And there is no other option. There is no other getting around that. And so we want to imitate Christ because that is what kids do. Come on, I was saying, I said in the first service, Tommy Hodges' son Noah, he's going to grow up and be a Cowboys fan. Why? Because his dad's modeling what it looks like to be a Cowboys fan. And he wants to be like dad. He wants to imitate dad. You know, and that's true. Your daughters are going to want to be like their mom. They're going to want to be like, you know, their big sisters. We're made to want to imitate those that we admire and those that we see. And we need to do the same thing in our walk with God and our relationship with God. John 5, 19 and 20 says this. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. See, even Jesus was not living for his own cause and his own purpose. He was modeling what he saw the father doing. He showed us how this works. And so he was paying attention. Father, what are you doing? What are you doing today? I want to do that. What, do you, what are you doing tomorrow? I want to do that. He, he modeled it for us. We're supposed to follow and in his footsteps and do the same things that he's doing. This is good. I'm glad I'm a Christian. The testimony of the church. Number one, guard against impurity. See, when people look at the church, they should be able to see a marked difference between how we live our lives and how the world lives their lives. In verse 3, it says this, But sexual immorality and any impurity or greed should not even be heard of among you, as is proper for saints. Obscene and foolish talking or crude joking are not suitable, but rather giving thanks. For know and recognize this, every sexually immoral or impure or greedy person who is an idolater does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Pretty severe stuff, right? I love how black and white things are. The, the Christianity is not a complicated uh, faith. It's very simple. It doesn't mean it's easy because there will be a lot of things that as a follower of Christ you're going to go through and you're going to experience that are not going to be easy. But I can tell you it is simple. God has laid out for us. It's no great mystery how we should live our lives. The Bible actually says that in Scripture, we've got all that we need to know to, to be trained to live in godliness and to walk according to how God says we should walk. So God doesn't leave us wondering what, what actually pleases you. No, he spells it out very clearly. And right here, Paul is talking about sexual immorality, right? There's a reason why if you say you're a follower of Christ, you should not be sleeping with people that aren't your, your married covenant spouse. It's real quiet in here. Ephesians has a way of doing this, making a room real quiet when you start reading about it. But listen, we believe a husband and a wife in a covenant marriage with the two of them and God, that is the only place that sex should be happening. Some of you are bummed out. Well, I can't help you. That's just truth. Anything outside of that is against what God knows is best for us and what he's, what he's commanded. He's given us boundaries. Come on, boundaries are good. Ultimate freedom comes within structure and boundaries. I had a good pastor tell me, that one, to explain it like this one time. He said, a fire in a house inside of a fireplace is great. You can enjoy it. You can sit back. You can, you can make a s'more if you want. You can read. You can, it heats the home. All of those things are great. A fire inside of a house not contained in a fireplace does what? Burns the whole thing down. 
this is what sexual immorality does. It will destroy your entire life if you use it outside of God's bounds. Some of you are like, I'm, I'm not so sure. I promise you. Think of the, the broken hearts. Think of the messiness of relationships. Think of the, the heart, the, 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 all kinds of dysfunction that happens in, in homes and all the different things. All the side effects of trying to do something outside of God's way always leads to more problems. I'll move on. And then he says, as if he wasn't clear enough about the sexual immorality, he talks about any impurity. Right? He's trying to cover it all. The bottom line is this. We've got to live our lives according to what God says is right and true. And if we don't, we're destined for problems. And he says this shouldn't even be mentioned above you. Matter of fact, the church should be so known for how they're living in purity that if people were to even accuse us of stepping outside of bounds, people would say, no, nah, there ain't no way. I know that spiritual family. I know that church. I know those, those people that are following Christ. They, they wouldn't do that. Think about that. Our reputation be, should be one that if someone were to accuse you of, yeah, I think so-and-so is, you know, sleeping around. No, I know better because I know that they, they walk in purity. And then Paul refers to, to greed. Come on, how many of you have ever been greedy? Three people. Now we're up to 17. It's spreading. Come on, if we're honest, all of us have been greedy. We get our eyes on, you know, I got, I got the, the, the Apple 14 or whatever, and as soon as the 15 comes out, guess what? Now I'm hating on my 14. Oh, all I got is the 14. We get like that, right? We start looking at what's my trade-in value on my phone. Maybe I can. But the Bible talks about it. Let's not be greedy. You know, if you've got a great home and, you know, and, and and it's sustaining your family, and it's providing for you. Like, be content. Paul says, learn to be content. When we get greedy, and it's like we got to have the next, and we got to have better, and we got to have bigger. That that's that's like chasing your tail. Then when's ever when is it ever big enough? When is it ever new enough? When is it ever nice enough? When is it ever? Don't let the enemy take you down that 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 path of, of being greedy. And then you start wanting what other people have. Well, they got it, so I want, I want to have one. Guys do this with grills. <laughs> My grill was fine until I went to somebody else's house, and they had, the, oh, man, they had, like, y'all know what I'm talking about. We got to guard against greed, and people should know us. We should have a reputation. It should be part of the testimony of the church. Number two is to guard against deception. This is all about division. Deception can divide you away from God, away from his word, away from his spirit, and away from his people. Look at this in Ephesians 5, 6 through 10. Let no one deceive you. Say no one. With empty arguments, for God's wrath is coming on the disobedient because of these things. Therefore, do not become their partners. For you were once darkness, now you're light in the world. Walk as children of the light, for the fruit of the light consists of goodness. Sang about that this morning. Righteousness and truth, testing what is pleasing to the Lord. The enemy will always want to bring division into a family, whether it's your, 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 your immediate family in your house, whether it's the spiritual family of God. He's always going to want to bring division. And one of the clear ways that he does it is through deception. What, did, what, what was the first thing that the enemy tried to do in the garden? Try to deceive Adam and Eve. 
Oh, did God really say that? You know, the best way to guard against deception is to be clear on the truth. You know, when they, when they try and, and, and teach people how to recognize counterfeit money, you know, they don't just lay out all the however many hundreds of thousands of examples of counterfeit money in front of them. No, what they do is they give you the, the true bill and they have them examine it so much that they're so familiar with it that instantly they can recognize a counterfeit. That's how we should be in our walk with God. I tell you every week, get a Bible and get a physical Bible, right? Your Bible reading shouldn't begin and end with a charge on your phone. Get an actual Bible. And by the way, I've heard some crazy stories about what AI can do. I wouldn't even be trusting all these digital versions of the Bibles before too long. But the reality is the more you know the truth, the more you study God's word, the more you get to know him and his characteristics, you'll be able to recognize a fraud. And people won't be able to deceive you. And staying together, we talked about this last week, in unity, where people can say, they can, they can, as you're saying, well, I think the Bible says this. Well, let's look at it. But if you're an island unto yourself and you're just a Lone Ranger Christian, which, by the way, the Bible never celebrates. We're called to be in context of family together. But if you're the only one vetting what you think is right and true and good, guess what? You're going to be prone to deception. All of us are. But there's accountability, there's safety as we come together. Look at this in Nehemiah 6.3. It says, so I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work so that I cannot come down. Why should the work cease while I leave it and go down to you? I want to talk to you just for a moment about three characteristics of church dividers. Number one, they have no fruit. Sanballat and Tobiah never actually picked up a shovel and contributed to the solution. If you don't know the story of Nehemiah, I would encourage you to read that this week. But he was rebuilding this wall. And he has some detractors, some church dividers. And we have that even today. We're trying to do great things for God. We're trying to, to reach more people. And, and you'll have people that will come that have no fruit but want to tell you how you're doing it wrong or how you shouldn't be doing this or how you shouldn't be doing that. One of the clear things to look for in somebody who's bringing you critique or help or, or, or offering you their opinion, look at the fruit in their life. Because if that person has made no commitment to the church, no commitment to the body, they're not faithfully building people up, they're not adding to the church, and they're just always want to nitpick at every little thing, guess what, I can tell you right now, I don't have any time for that. I just don't. You, you will not get a moment of my time if, if that's the kind of person you're going to be. That's nobody in this room, obviously. It's, I'm talking metaphorically. Look at this, Matthew 7, 20. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Right? People see fruit. We were doing our cleanup yesterday, and um, uh, we were out in this side, and, and, and Josh Fagan, he goes, hey, do you know there's a fig tree out here? And me, feeling very not like Jesus, I figured I would, should recognize a fig tree. I mean, Jesus would recognize fig trees anyway. That's a Bible joke. But I walked out there, I was like, no, I don't, I don't actually know what a fig tree looks like. I don't really eat figs, so I don't. He's like, yeah, come check this out. And he's showing me how it's, it's budding. So I just told him, hey, hey, when these all get figged up, you know, just come back with your bushel or your basket or whatever and take all the figs you want. But guess what? If that fig tree stops producing figs, we're going to get rid of it. And that's what God does. It's like, look, if you're not going to produce fruit, then you can't, you can't stick around here. 
God hates waste. He loves fruitfulness. Also, they don't fear God. Church dividers don't fear God. That's why they can say some of the things that they'll say to people. That's why they think they can just get up in anybody's business and anybody's mix. And just they have no uh, qualms about uh, they're just running in pride and they just have no issue. They don't, they don't worry about any consequence. They'll just say whatever they want to say. Because it's really about them and their opinion and what they think is right and what they want to do. They have no fear of God. Watch for that. You know, it's different. I'll, I'll give you an example. When somebody comes and says, hey, I've, I've been praying and, and I feel like God's shown me, you know, this about this situation. And I just wanted to bring it to your attention and, and share it with you. I'm not sure if, if I'm hearing right or, or you know, or I'm, I'm seeing right. But I just want to present this. That's different. That's someone who fears God, not just coming to you saying, you're dead wrong, and uh, everything you're doing is cursed, and you know what I mean? There's a different spirit. There's a different heart behind somebody who's walking in the fear of the Lord and somebody who's just walking in pride and arrogance. You know, a better way to do that would be, like, you ain't even picked up a shovel yet, and you're going to talk to me about a better way? Go grab a shovel, and then we'll talk about the technique together while we're both building something. That's the difference. They don't want any part of the work. They just want to tell you how you ought to be doing it. And then they're disloyal to God. They're disloyal to God's people. Nehemiah's job was to shepherd God's work and God's people in his time. To do that, he refused to answer to the whims of those who wanted to thwart him. This is a pattern. Those who love God remain in his church with his people. A Christian only bears fruit by being planted. Look at Acts 20, 29. I know that false teachers like vicious wolves will come in among you after I leave, not sparing the flock. Even some men from your own group will rise up and distort the truth in order to draw a following. You ever experienced that? Hopefully not too many of you. But oftentimes, too, people who have their own ideas and have their own thoughts about what is right and, and all that, you can tell what spirit they're operating in, whether or not they want to pull you away from the body or if they're willing to come and present those things that they're talking about to the body. You know, that's why we, for those of you that are in small groups, that's why we vet our small groups. Because people can get in a little, in a little huddle in their house and they can teach all kinds of crazy things. Right? And some things that even, depending on how you twist scripture and how, what scriptures you use, might sound like it's maybe true. And I'll give you one example. There's people who have taught that, you know, there's, it's really about God the Father and Jesus the Son. And, and the Holy Spirit's not really a, a third part of the Trinity. He's just kind of like the, the juice, if you will. It's just kind of the force or the, the energy. That's a false teaching. We know that it's God the Father, God the Son, and the Holy Spirit, a triune God. Now, do we understand the fullness of all that mystery? No. But we know that that's what is true and right from Scripture. And so you got to be aware of that stuff. But don't, don't waste your time. I'm just going to give you permission right now. Don't waste your time with people who are not loyal to God's family. Don't do it. Matter of fact, we had, a, uh, had come to a conclusion at a previous church when we're trying to think about how much time you, know, you spend with different people and different individuals. I can tell you right now, the people that I'm going to spend the most time with are people who are also in turn spending time with other people. Because if you're pouring into someone who's just not pouring in and not willing to give of themselves to anybody else, that's, that's, that's a waste. I'm just pouring into a cesspool. It's like a man-made Texas lake, in case y'all are wondering. 
I grew up in Michigan. I can say that. You'll forgive me later. But the bottom line is, you want to pour your time and your energy into people who are also willing to do the same for somebody else, right? It makes sense. That's what we want. That's where life is happening. That's where there's a constant steady flow and, and, and things stay fresh and good. Not just some, you know, cesspool. I'll move on. Conversely, three characteristics of church unifiers. You can probably guess. I'm going to go through these quick. They're fruitful. They do fear God, and they're loyal to others. It's a sure sign of people you get around that, that anything that they're doing, they, wanna, they want to make uh, what they, they believe in the vision. They believe in the mission. They're on board. They're offering their help. They're offering their resources. Those are the kind of people you want to do life with. Not people that just want to point out all the problems and never be a part of the solution. Come on, even the business world knows that. Come on, even CEOs know. You know, you've heard it in leadership conferences and read it in leadership books. You know, don't come to me with a problem if you haven't already also been thinking about a solution or even being part of the solution. It's the same way. That, that comes from God. It's the same way. Be a unifier. You know, I, I, I will listen to people who are very fruitful. If someone comes to me and I know they're like serving other people and they're, they're leading people to Christ and they're discipling people and they're giving of themselves and that person comes to me and says, hey, I think we might be getting a little off in this area. Guess what? I'll listen to that person. Why? Because I know they're pursuing God and they're a part of, of, of what we're doing. And people that fear God, you can trust people that fear God. When, when a person is their own highest authority, those are the people you need to worry about. Because they have no one to hold them accountable, no one to vet what they're saying or what they're doing. But people who fear God, they walk in humility, not pride or arrogance. There's a difference. And they're loyal to others. It's the beauty of spiritual family. Let me keep going. Reject and expose evil. This is also something that should be a testimony of the church. Ephesians 5.11. Don't participate in the fruitless works of darkness, but instead expose them. Do you know it is our job as a church not to condemn the world, not to judge the world, but to expose darkness? I gave the example earlier in the 930 service. If you have salt in a bowl or in a, in a shaker container, guess what? That salt is not salt to the other salt. Does that make sense? The salt, its impact is meant for outside of the shaker. And so us in here, all being in agreement, that's not us being salty. We're not getting salty until we get out in the world and we start helping the world see where they need to see light. Right? Light shining in darkness. Light shining in light doesn't do anything. It's just light adding to the light. But it doesn't expose the darkness until you get out into the darkness. And then when you shine that light, guess what? Oh, wow. They didn't know about that. We're called to be salt and be light out in the world. And that should be a mark of the church. And so we're going to say, you know, when it comes to some of these issues that people don't want to talk about or they don't want to be clear out, you know, clear about transgender stuff, you know, same-sex marriage, abortion, all these kinds of issues, we're going to be very clear on it. And we're not going to apologize for it. And that's a little tough for some people, but so is the Bible. Just go read it. And don't just take my word for it. Read it for yourselves. If you need a physical Bible, side note, we'll get you one. But get into God's word. And the more you know his truth, the more easy it should be for you to share that truth. Now, again, we don't do it in a way that judges and is bashing and, you know, the old school beat you over the head with my Bible. That's not what I'm talking about. 
But don't be afraid to speak up. The world wants to shut Christianity up. Well, of course, darkness never wants the light to be around. Because then what happens? Everything they're doing gets exposed. You are going to bother some people just because you're living in light and they're living in darkness. You're going to have some people that, I don't know what it is about you. I just feel uncomfortable around you. Well, yeah, because you're sleeping with so-and-so's wife and you're, you know, cheating on your taxes. And, and I don't roll like that. So, yeah, you might feel a little uncomfortable around me if you think you're going to keep doing all that. Let me run through this quick hierarchy of truth. This is helpful. We, we shared this back in a series we did at the end of the last year called This Means War. Um, and I think it's very helpful to understand that there is a hierarchy of truth. It begins with absolute truth. Romans 10, 15, they demonstrate that God's law is written in their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them they are right. Uh, the thing about absolute truth is that it's not invented or reinvented. It is revealed or discovered. God is absolute truth. And there is absolute truth. He is it. And so you've got to start there. Everything that, that you think about, uh, all the different issues that, that come in society, all should be filtered through what does God say about it? What does God's word have to say about this? And it doesn't change. The Bible says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. God's truth does not need to be uh, rethought about. It doesn't need to be rehashed. What God said was true back when he first revealed it to us has not changed. And that's a big thing right now. People are like, well, it's 2023, you know, this being married, one man, one woman, that's old stuff, you know. No, it's not. God never changed his mind about it. It's still the plan. It's still how it should be. Simple. Not always easy. Principle truth. This is built on the foundation of absolute truth, but is applied more broadly. For example, it's wrong for a police officer to shoot an unarmed person, whether criminal or not. It is also wrong to murder a baby in a womb. Both are based in principle truth, based on the spirit of thou shalt not murder. Does that make sense? Okay. And then moving on, subjective truth. This is situational truth. What should I do in this situation? So, again, these build one upon the other. So it's not like you can pick and choose what kind of truth you want to use. No, there is a hierarchy. In other words, your subjective truth should never violate principled or absolute truth. If God has made it clear and said that this is a no, you can't subjectively decide in this situation it's okay. right? In this situation, because I really love that other person's spouse, it's okay for us to hook up. No, it's not. Make sense? I'm trying to run through this fast. You can see the scriptures. Uh, I think they're showing them. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. And then there's personal truth. This is what is true for you and wrong for you. God loves you and knows what is right for you. Look at this, Romans 14, 23. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you are sinning if you go ahead and do it, for you are not following your convictions. If you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. Now, this gets more into like God speaks to us, and you'll have personal convictions, right? So maybe God's telling you, I don't want you watching any rated R movies. And that's just a conviction you have. Does that mean other people can't watch a rated R movie? Well, that's up to them and God. Right? There's nothing clear in Scripture. Thou shalt not watch rated R movies. Does that make sense? But when, when the Holy Spirit tells you to avoid something, then for you to go and, and do that, 
now you're sinning because he's given you a personal conviction. These are things that are not just crystal clear, literally written down in Scripture. These are things you've got to ask the Holy Spirit about, okay? As we close, let me give you the last two. Remain in spiritual family and remain in Christ. So part of the testimony of the church should be that people see us actually stick together. They should see us being a true community, actually having relationships with one another, not quitting on each other. Come on, have any of you been perfect up until this point of your life? Aren't you glad that everyone didn't walk away from you in your life just because you made a mistake? This has got to be a place where we can make mistakes, where we can fail, where we can blow it. And you know what? Because we're committed to each other, we can work through it. The only caveat there would be what Matthew 18 says. So if, if somebody offends you, you go to that person and try and make it right. If they won't listen, you take a witness and take another person, brother or sister in Christ. You try and work it out. If they still won't, then you bring it to the elders. And at that point, if the person is still not repentant, still doesn't want to change and do it right, then that's the point where God says, all right, kick them out because they don't want to follow the rules. God has rules. Rules are good. I give my daughter rules, you know. Don't play in a busy street. It's a good rule. It means she won't get smacked by a Mack truck sometime. Well, if we get a Mack truck coming down our cul-de-sac, that'd be real strange anyway. But, but you get the idea. We've got to be committed to one another. Church is not just something you bounce in and bounce out. This is a spiritual family that we want you to be a part of. We talked about this last week. The Bible, the terminology is so beautiful. Knit and woven together. If you're going to separate something that's knit and woven together, you have to tear it or you have to cut it. you got to do something intentional. But God calls us to be together. And the greatest way we do that is the last point, to remain in Christ. Our greatest unifier, our greatest connection comes from our being in Christ. It's not because we grew up in the same neighborhood or we came from the same state or we all love the, you know, this team or we all whatever. No, our greatest and most powerful unifier is that we are all sons and daughters of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That we all recognize that God has paid the price. He shed his blood so that we could be in relationship with him. And that means we can be in relationship with one another. Is this good? I know I kept you a little long. It's 12.02 by my clock. I promise you they're still going to have food at all the restaurants you're going to. I love this. We're going to skip chapter 6 next week because we're actually going to go through that in more detail in our next series that I believe will be September 6th. It's called Stronger. We're going to get into spiritual warfare. And so obviously Ephesians 6 talks about the armor of God and and how we we don't wrestle with flesh and blood and all these things. So we're going to get into that. But I just want to make sure that you walk away today knowing how to guard yourself. And to think about, when people see my life, does it testify to the greatness and glory of God? Or do they see me just living no different than, than the world? Do you have the same standards of the world? Or are yours higher? What do they see? If, you were, if we were to poll all the people around you throughout the week, and we asked them, do you, know, do you think so-and-so is a Christian? What would they say? I really don't know. I've never heard them talk about it. 
or where they say, oh, yeah, no doubt, that person loves God. I don't even understand how much they love God, but they love God. They're always telling me I should, you know, inviting me to church and talking to me about Jesus. And What is our testimony as a church, as a local church? It matters. What's our reputation in the community? You know, I think I said this last week. Some of the best advice, when you leave here, don't go out to eat if you don't have money to tip. And all those that have been a waiter and waitress said, that's right. But it's true. Wait till payday and then go out. But our lives should reflect Jesus. We should be imitators of Christ and people should see that. Let me pray for you. If you just bow your head. I want to give you an opportunity every single service. We know there's some that might be in here. You might be far from God. Maybe you've, you've been in church a little bit, but you really haven't explored or, or, or known what it means to, to be a follower of Christ. Can I tell you, it's the best decision you can ever make. Jesus did come and live on this earth. He did pay the price and shed his blood to be our sacrifice for our sin so that we could be made right with God. We all have a sin problem when we're born. We're all separated from God spiritually. But because of the work of Christ on the cross, we can be near to God and we can be with him. And you can actually move from darkness to light in one moment right here this morning. And so I want to invite you. I'm going to give you a moment and just uh, in just a moment. I'm going to count to three and you can raise your hand and, and we're going to say a prayer together. And if you mean that from your heart, you can... You can walk out of here knowing that your eternal life, your salvation is secure in Jesus. And I also want to give an opportunity for those of you that, that have said that prayer before. You've given your life to Christ, but if you're being honest, you're really running the show now. And God's kind of been put on the back burner. And, and this morning, you're just sensing the presence of God. that He's calling you to, to come back all in, to fully commit your life to Him. To put Him back in His rightful place as preeminent in your life. No more games. If that's you in either one of those places in your heart this morning, I'm going to ask you on the count of three just to raise your hand. I want to pray with you. One, two, three. Thank you for those hands. You're not the only one. It's the best decision you'll ever make. God loves you. He has a purpose and a plan for your life. Jeremiah says a future and a hope. Church, let's just pray together. Repeat after me, and if you lifted your hand this morning, I want you to just say this from your heart to God. Say, Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to pay the penalty for my sin that I couldn't pay on my own. Thank you for your sacrifice. I receive it. I receive your gift of salvation by faith this morning and I choose you I thank you that you are my savior and I ask you to be my Lord and I commit my life to you for the rest of my days in Jesus name amen amen God bless y'all